My name's Kaipo. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. Glad you guys came out of quarantine to join us in this big group. And uh, um, no, I'm glad you guys are here. Glad you guys are here. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Again, for those who don't know, my name is Kaipo. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at 80 Creek. I get to oversee our men's ministry with events, things like that. I'm also on the pastoral care team under our fearless leader, Pastor Gabe Carter. So it's been a, it's been a huge pleasure, uh, a big blessing to be a part of. So I, uh, anytime you get in front of a crowd, anytime there's a thought of, man, what am I going to share? What am I going to talk about? The hardest part, I mean, 90% of what we go through is, what in the world am I supposed to say? You know, and I think about with Brett, it's great because you've got this outline. You've got this outline for the next umpteen years of, all right, here to here to here. So a lot of it is just, man, what is it that, Lord, you would want me to share? And I've been here at Athey Creek for about 14, 15 years, a while, and it's been a huge pleasure to be able to sit underneath Pastor Brett, the leadership, to glean from these guys. It's been an awesome, awesome pleasure. But there's something I've noticed in my own progression as a believer, as an Athey Creek guy. There's this progression over these many years that I've been here is initially when you get here, maybe you guys have found this to be true in your own lives. When you get here, you're just, you're just starving for truth. You realize that you come here and, oh, this is what Bible study is. This is what it means to dig into the Word. This is what it means to actually hear truth. And Brett is a gifted teacher. We're very spoiled to be underneath him. And so you come and you realize, wow, this is what it means to eat meat. This is what it means to sink my teeth into that juicy steak. So we come here, but then years roll by. And as we're here at Athey Creek, we, we reside in that taking in, that knowledge, that gaining of understanding, taking in all the things that, we, we're, that are here at Athey Creek. And I found my own self in this progression of I've been taking, I've been eating, I've been uh, attaining knowledge, but there's this progression of have I been obedient to the years and years and years of knowledge that I've been given? Have I actually listened and obeyed to the things that God has put in front of me. I, um, I'm in what I like to call the listen and obey phase of life. I've got three lovely children, four in all, but three of them are lovely. I'm just kidding, no. I've got, I've got three kids. I've got uh, Kiana, my oldest, she's five. Uh, my son, Jack, who's almost four. And then our youngest, uh, Kieran, who is about three months old at this point. So obviously, as you know, in this phase of life, everything is listen, obey, command, do this, do that, don't do that. It's just this constant bombardment of do this, do this, listen to what I say, obey, obey, obey. And I was realizing, man, I'm so thankful for children because this is, they're just daily examples of what God is trying to teach me. Daily examples of, yeah, Kaipo, you're trying to get your son, your daughter to do that. Hey, actually, this is what I've been trying to teach you. So I'm, since you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to use your children to, to speak to you. But there's this, this phase of life, the listen and obey phase of life that I find myself in. And as a dad, I realize when I give commands to my children, when I ask them to do something, there's sort of this dual fulfillment. Two things happen with that. First, I give my kids this command, hey, put your dish in the sink, rinse it, and then put it in the dishwasher. You know, take the trash, put it out there. When I do these, when I give these commands, well, first, it's blessing me. Right? It's taking, it's easing the burden of me, of the things that I have to do. All right, well, I'm going to have my kids do it, so it's easier for me. Of course I'm going to have them do it. That's why we have children, right? Isn't that what we're doing? <clears throat> so it's easing the burden with myself. 
But then I've also realized when my children obey the commands that I give to them, it's giving them an opportunity to show love, adoration for me, their father. And this is what the Lord is, is impressing upon me, is first there's that dual fulfillment of, I give a command because I want to be blessed, and then my children heed that command so that they can show their love for me. That's me as an earthly father. But when we step out of that realm and we step into, well, how does our heavenly father view us? How does our heavenly father work? What are the dynamics that he does with this idea of giving commands and us obeying? When God tells us to do something, he gives us a command, it's not to please him. It's not to further our relationship with him. It's purely out of an opportunity for us to show our love for the Lord, to show our adoration, our desire to please God. This idea of obedience is something that's been sort of uh, rattling around in my mind of the importance of obeying what God is asking me to do. Now, let me take a step back because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm talking about. I want us to understand the relationship between obedience and salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, we all know this very well. We get to recite it most every weekend with oftentimes new believers here at Athey Creek. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. There is a singular work that we must do to be saved and it's putting our hope and our trust in what Jesus has done. So don't misunderstand this idea that obedience leads to salvation. That's not what I'm saying. Obedience does not lead to salvation, but obedience gives us a hint of our salvation. It gives us a hint of that saving grace that we have taken a part of. Obedience leads to blessing. When my children, I'm a young dad, so all my analogies are gonna be young children examples, sorry, if that, that's all you're gonna get today. But my children, when, when, they, uh, when I ask them to take the dish, put it in the sink, and they obey, man, that's awesome. But if my daughter takes her dish and just throws it in her room or whatever else, whether she obeys or disobeys, is she not still my daughter? Is she not still my daughter, my child? Whether she obeys or doesn't obey doesn't determine if she's my child or not. What obedience does is it shows us, it gives us this glimpse into being able, being able to show our adoration for the Lord, our love for the Lord. So today, I wanna to take a look at this idea. As men, where are we at in obeying what God has asked us to do? We are a part of an awesome church. We've been given tons and tons of things to chew on. There are so many countless things that we've been given. My heart today is to get us to an understanding of the importance of obeying what God is asking us to do, what he is telling us to do, and the blessing that comes from obedience. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 15. Before we look at uh, obedience, I wanna look at a story of disobedience. A story of disobedience here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Disobedience, brothers, is in essence sin. Catch what I'm saying there. Disobedience, in essence, is sin. It's not doing what God asks us to do. Disobedience, in essence, is sin. Walk through uh, 1 Samuel 15 here as we read a little bit. So 1 Samuel 15, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through this, this chapter here. Verse 1, it says, Samuel 
also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way and when he came up from Egypt. Verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Teliam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. So here we, we see right off the bat that Saul has been given this very clear command, right? And we know this story, wipe out all of the Amalekites, utterly destroy all the Amalekites. And my kiddish mind, because over and over in the first Samuel 15, he's told to utterly destroy, utterly destroy, utterly destroy. So when I'm telling my, my children this story, I say, you know, and God commanded him to destroy all the udders of Amalek. It's, it's, you know, my cute little thing with the kids. But over and over and over again, he says, utterly destroy all of the Amalekites. Wipe them out. Verse 6. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Verse 7, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of, Am king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Here we begin to see the fall of King Saul and how he is no longer obeying what God is asking him to do, but in fact he is disobeying. Disobedience is the essence of sin. Continuing on here, verse 10, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, Well, they have brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
But the people took the plunder and sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Verse 22, so Samuel said, and this is the classic verse, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and heed and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Here in verse, you know, in 1 Samuel 15, we have this classic example of King Saul being told to do something, failing and not doing what he was supposed to do. There's several things I want to lift out of this story that we know well regarding disobedience and how that plays in to our lives. Verse 15, it says right there, and Saul said, they have brought from them the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Verse 13, it also says, blessed are you and Saul is saying, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But obviously here we realize, no he hasn't. He has not fulfilled the command of the Lord. Saul partially fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. He did really well all the way up until what? Until he grabbed King Agag and they, and they kept the best of the sheep. He, he obeyed all the way up until that point. Brothers, the first thing I want us to really capture and understand is that partial obedience is full disobedience. Partial obedience is in fact full disobedience. Here, what, what blows my mind is that Saul actually thought he was obeying. He actually thought that he was heeding, he was adhering and obeying what God asks him to do. So where is it that King Saul went wrong in his thinking? Because in his thinking, he, he thought he obeyed what God had asked him to do. But he had somehow tricked himself into thinking, this is what God wants me to do. What happens with us, brothers, is there's times where our own will, our own desires, the things that we want to do, we try and fit God's will into our will. We try and fit what God desires for us, what he commands of us, into our little shell, into our life, into our will as men. And this is what Saul has done. Saul basically says, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna obey the command of the Lord. And in his mind, he's thinking, well, I'm just gonna go defeat the Amalekites. Here I am, I take them out, I won the battle. That's what God wanted me to do, right? I won, I obeyed. God asked Saul, utterly wipe out the Amalekites. That's what his desire, that's what his command was to King Saul. In some way, Saul got mixed up in his mind thinking this is what God asked him to do when in actuality it wasn't. Partial obedience, brothers, is full disobedience. <clears throat> there's, there's this idea for us as men, what is it that God has asked us to do? What is it that God has commanded us to do? And you know what, we've done it Mostly, we've done it up until it becomes uncomfortable for us. We've obeyed God's command until it gets a little hard or a little difficult. I want to remind us today that this idea of partial disobedience is full, uh, partial obedience is full disobedience. What in our lives has God commanded us to do and we're doing most of it 
but then we stop short. And we think in our own minds, I've obeyed the Lord. I've obeyed the command of the Lord. I've done what God's asked me to do. But in actuality, God's saying, ah, no, this is what my command was for you. This is what my heart was for you. This is what I desired you to do. The way to get out of that, out of that to pull ourselves out of that mindset is to let our will die. Let our desires, our flesh die and let God's will reign in us. That's the only way you're going to fully obey and not just partially obey. The first thing I, I catch out of this story is there in verse 13 and 15, partial obedience is full disobedience. Verse 19, it says there, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Evil in the sight of the Lord. I, I began this saying that disobedience in an essence is sin. It's going against what God desires us to do. What, what I see here is that disobedience, the end of that uh, verse there in 19, it says, swoop down, take the spoil, and do evil in the sight of the Lord. Men, we have become so comfortable with disobedience, with sin, with things in our life that are contrary to what God desires us to do. We have become so comfortable. We have become so numb to the attacks, to these fiery darts that are hitting us, that are landing on us. What I want us to really catch is disobedience, sin, is evil in the sight of the Lord. It is utter evil. It is it is. Um, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us about our righteousness. Our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. If that's our righteousness, well, then our sin, our disobedience is even worse than that. I think about a filthy rag. In our minds, we think, oh, you know, that's the white dishcloth that you're wiping up the water around the sink and you throw it in the laundry. No, I don't want us to think of that rag. I want us to think of the, not the disposable diapers. I don't even have to use these. The, the reusable diapers, you know, for the, for the little kids. I want you to think of that just loaded with poop. Just this poopy diaper rag. The, this disgusting, putrefying, smelly, stinky, rancid thing. That, that's our best works. So in, in light of sin, we need to view sin properly. We need to view it as evil in the sight of the Lord. And men, I, I don't think we do that. I think in our world today, we have become so comfortable with sin. We have been, become so comfortable with those things that are contrary to what the Lord would desire us to do. We need to have a resensitizing, a unnumbing, if you will, of our consciousness, of our mind, and realize sin, it needs to be putrefying to us. It is evil in the sight of the Lord. Disobedience is in essence sin. So one of the other things I really want to impress upon us is don't play around with this stuff. Like, don't see how close you can get to some of these things in our world that entice us, that draw us away from him. Don't get good at being close to sin. These things are evil in the sight of the Lord. We need to run. We need to flee. So whatever it is right now in your life that you're kind of playing around with, look at it as that poopy, just diaper-filled poop and say, why am I playing with this? Why am I tossing this around? This needs to go in the trash. This needs to go far away from me. This is just disgusting. Sin, disobedience in our life needs to be viewed as that. The, the last thing I see here, verse 21, 
Saul is basically caught and Samuel calls him out. And here in verse 20, 21, you see the blame game start. Saul says, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. What is Saul doing? He's pointing the finger. Samuel says, you done messed up, Saul. You done messed up. And what, is, what does Saul say? The people, it was them. They did it. They made me do it. <clears throat> what does that remind me of? You know, what does this disobedience and blame shifting remind us of? And you guys all know. You know, Genesis chapter 3, there in the fall, we have the, the first disobedience, if you will. Genesis chapter 3, God calls out to Adam and Eve after they had eaten of the forbidden fruit. They were told, <clears throat> don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else you can do, everything else you can partake of, just don't eat this fruit. And there, Adam and Eve, they obeyed. They did everything perfectly all the way up until that fruit. So they partially obeyed everything, but partial obedience is still full disobedience. Here with Adam and Eve, God calls out to them and says, where are you guys? Have you guys eaten of that fruit? And what does, what does, what does Adam say? Adam says, the woman, the woman you gave me, she did it. She made me do it. And what does Eve say? Well, Eve says, you know, with her hair, the snake, the snake made me do it. The snake did it. And what does the serpent say? The fruit, the fruit made me do it. Fruit made, I don't know, that's probably not what happened. But there's, there's this blame shifting that, that's going on. He did it, she did it, no, they did it. What disobedience causes us to do, brothers, it causes us to shift the blame. It causes us to push the blame off to, onto somebody else. It wasn't me, it was that person. It wasn't me, it was them. Well, I, that was the reason why I did that. We, we shift the blame off of ourselves just like King Saul did and we push it on somebody else. We push it onto them and we don't take ownership. Three things I see from this, this, this example here in 1 Samuel 15 about disobedience is that first one, partial obedience is full disobedience. What in our lives are we only partially doing what God asks us to do, not completely doing what he asks? Secondly, disobedience is sin. Sin is evil in the sight of the Lord. View sin properly, brothers. View it as putrefying, yucky, disgusting, knapsack filled with filth. That's how we need to view sin. But thirdly, disobedience also causes us to shift the blame to push the blame onto someone else. This wasn't me, it was that person. It was the woman, it was this person, it was that person. Men, there's a, there's a theme that I think us as Athey Creek men can, can do better at, something that I desire for us to really step up in. And it's this idea of owning up. It's this idea of own it, own it as men, we can quickly fall into this mindset, and this is the mindset of our culture today. It's never my fault. I didn't do it. It was somebody else, that person, this person. We do not own up. We need to change that. We need to be men who no longer push the blame and say, well, it was this person. It was my wife. It was my children. It was my employer. It was you name it. It was the coronavirus. This did that. It was everything else. It's all that. We blame others. Men, we need to be ones who own up. We need to be ones who take the situation by the reins and say, this is mine. I'm going to take this. I'm going to run with this. Even if it wasn't our fault. Even if 
we actually have grounds to blame someone else. We have grounds to push the blame onto them. Then my hope is for us to be really good at understanding that God has given us this responsibility. Whether you're a husband, whether you're a dad, whether you're a son, whether you're an employee, whether you're a brother, a friend, we need to be men who own up, take ownership, look for an opportunity to take these things on and say, you know what, I'm gonna own this. I'm not gonna push the blame. I'm not gonna point the finger. I'm gonna say, Lord, help me to take these things, to own up and run with this. Now, that doesn't mean that we put on our, you know, our, our muscle shirt and say, all right, I'm taking everything on. This is me, I'm the one that's fixing all this stuff. My, my idea, my heart behind it is, own up and allow the Lord to use you to, to work in these things. Don't push the blame. Don't push it off onto other, other people. I think in our story here, if Saul had just had this heart and said, you know what, Samuel, you're right. I messed up. This was me. I made this decision. I feared the people. I feared what they said. I'm the one that was wrong. I guarantee you, I mean, I don't know for sure I'm speaking into this, but I bet that would have been the start of Samuel being able to work with Saul who was beginning to be repentant. He's owning up. He's realizing, ah, he did make a mistake. There's an essence of repentance here. But Saul, we have no sign of that. So the first thing, brothers, I want us to recognize from this story here in 1 Samuel 15 are those three things. First, partial obedience is full disobedience. Secondly, sin is putrefying, it's yucky, it's disgusting. View it that way, view it properly. Thirdly, don't shift the blame, own up. Own up to what God has put in front of us, own up to the things that God has set out in front of us. So that's the example of disobedience here in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 15. But I also, I'd like to shift over and take a look at an example of obedience, of something where this people group actually obeyed and adhered to a command that their father had given. Would you turn to Jeremiah 35 for me, please? Now you would think this example of extreme obedience, of obedience to a father's command would come from God's chosen people would come from God's people who he provided for, who he did miraculous miracles with, who he led by fire, led by the pillar, who walked with these people for countless years. You'd think this story of obedience would come from them, but in fact, it doesn't. Jeremiah 35, we have the story of the Rechabites. The story of the Rechabites. Now the Rechabites were a peculiar people they were descendants of Moses' father-in-law, who was from Midian, the Midianites. So they weren't the chosen people of God, but they were close to them. They were close to the children of God, Judah and Jerusalem. But here, God is using the Rechabites as an example, as an object lesson for his own people who are not listening. Let's, uh, let's read through this. Jeremiah 35, starting there in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the sons of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, 
the keeper of the door. Verse 5. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. So here we have, in the temple, they're given, the Rechabites are, are drawn into this temple, and the priests here are basically giving them bowls full of wine. They're saying, hey, bottoms up, have at it, go for it, let's see it. Verse 6, but they said, the Rechabites, they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine. You nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us, to drink no wine all our days. We, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. Verse 10, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Bab uh, Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerus Jerusalem. So here we have this idea of God is speaking to his own children through the Rechabites as an example and looking at the Rechabites who are um, uh, their father Jonadab and is basically saying, hey, give, give the Rechabites, give them an opportunity to drink some wine. It's almost as if they're being tempted. It's almost as if they're being lured in to breaking this command that they have been given by their father. Already they're outside of their tents, already they're in the land of Jerusalem, so they've already made some exceptions being where they're at right now. So it would be really easy for them to give in to temptation, to give in to what it is, especially if the church official, the priest is telling you, hey, bottoms up, throw one back, here you go, it's for you. When I think about temptation, uh, you know, for me, the temptation always relates back down to food. You know, I'm definitely a food guy. I obviously enjoy some food. You know, I'm down a few pounds, but that's kind of just a bowel movement, so it changes from day to day. But, um, <clears throat> but, but for me, I just, I, I, love, I love food. I love eating. I love all those types of things. And some days, you're doing great. You're doing awesome. You know, you've got your little protein in the morning. You're eating all your rabbit food and your sticks and your twigs and all that. But then you come home, and mama's got those cursed Girl Scout cookies. Those toasted caramel, the Samoas, they just, they're just devilish, you know, and you're trying to be good, but then one of those, they just slides down your throat, and you're like, ah, well, one cookie turns into one box, and then at this point, it's like, ah, forget it, in and out, here we come, you know, give me the quad stack, and let's, let's, I'll try tomorrow, I'm not going to worry about today, we'll try, we'll try again tomorrow, but here, here the Rechabites, they're, they're not giving in to temptation, the temptation's there. Not only is it there, but it's there by the priest. And they, they are in church saying, hey, drink some wine. Drink this bowl full of wine. Have at it. Give in. The Rechabites held to their convictions, and they didn't give in. They didn't give in even though they could have very easily. Continuing on there in verse 12. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now, everyone, from his evil way. Amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear, nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which you commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. God is using the Rechabites as a stark example of his own children, the children of Israel, the chosen people, and their disobedience. God repeatedly told them, hey, this is what you need to do. Here's the commandment. Heed these things. Do this. Yet they would not. They would not acquiesce and heed to what God had commanded them to do. Now, there's, there's some compare and contrast between this, uh, these two people, the Rechabites and uh, the children of Israel. One, you know, from Jeremiah 35, you could get the idea of it'd be really easy to go into the whole don't drink alcohol, don't drink wine, you know, don't do that. And for me personally, I'm, I'm so thankful that that's not even a temptation for me. That's something that I praise the Lord through my dad and just being a good example of, hey, that's something just stay away from. In essence, it's the small part of the Rechabite vow that I've been able to keep. Now I have built a house and I plant seeds and all those other things, so I guess it, can't, it doesn't really count. But it'd be really easy to hammer home this idea of don't drink alcohol, don't give in to wine, don't be a brawler, wine is a brawler, don't give in to that. But that's not the main point here that God is getting at. That's not the main emphasis here in Jeremiah 35. The main emphasis is on obedience. It's on obeying what God, what you've been told to do. So we have this stark contrast. The Rechabites, not God's chosen people, and you know, an earthly father through Jonadab, we have these people, and then we have the children of Israel. Let's do a little compare and contrast. The Rechabites, they had a sinful earthly father, Jonadab and Rechab, yet they still obeyed. Even though their father was sinful, was not the almighty God, they still obeyed. Now the children of Israel, they had the most perfect, amazing, godly father, our father in heaven. They had the best opportunity to obey. They didn't have the excuse of, well, my dad did this, my dad did that, he wasn't good enough, he was, whatever. They had the perfect father, yet they still disobeyed. They still did not do what God asked them to do. This one just blows my mind. The Rechabites, they were told one time. They were told one time from their father, Rechab, don't drink wine, don't build buildings, don't plant seeds. Don't do those things. And generations afterward, they are now still heeding that command. I, I can't tell you how much I would wish in my household I could tell my children just one time, just one time for one day, hey, make sure you pick up your toys off the ground, please. One time and done, man, that would be an amazing thing. That would be awesome. But no, it's one time every second. Pick the toys up, pick the toys up, pick the toys up, pick the toys, you know, and 
But here, the Rechabites, they were told once. And they listened and heeded to what their father, Rechab, had told them. Children of Israel, multiple upon multiple upon multiple times, they are told what to do. It says there, um, but although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking to you, you did not obey. I also sent you all my servants and the prophets rising up early and sending them, saying, turn now. God gave multiple upon multiple times for the children of Israel to obey, yet they didn't. The Rechabites, they obeyed concerning earthly things, wine, buildings, seeds, planting seeds. The children of Israel, they disobeyed concerning heavenly things, eternal things. The Rechabites, 300 years of obedience. Generation upon generation, they obeyed what their father had told them to do. The children of Israel, man, there is still continual disobedience, even though God is their father. The Rechabites, they were extremely rewarded for their obedience. The, uh, the last verse there, in verse 35, says, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. On the other hand, though, the children of Israel, they will be judged. Verse 17, it says, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. And I have called to them, but they have not answered. Rechabites rewarded for their obedience. Children of Israel judged because of their disobedience. Here, I want us to understand this, this nature, this idea, this importance of obedience, that that essentially is what God is desiring for us. He is desiring for us to be a people who heed, who listen, who obey to what it is that he's calling us to do. That is his desire. Now, God isn't sitting up there demanding obedience. I wish he would at times, right? I wish he would say, you must do this or else you won't eat food. Man, I'd be doing everything, everything I could. Food, you know, take away food, I'm whatever you want, Lord. But God doesn't demand. He willingly invites us to obey what it is he's called us to do. He's long-suffering, he's patient. Obedience, again, does not determine our salvation. Let me be very clear with that. It does not determine our salvation. This isn't what saves us, but obedience gives us the hint of our salvation. Obedience, in essence, is the fruit of our salvation. I really want us to understand and catch that obedience equals blessing. Obedience, brothers, equals blessing. We flip that around because for us, what is obedience? Obedience means that I'm inferior. If two of us are walking together and that guy tells me to do something, he shouldn't tell me what to do. I'm going to tell him what to do. I'm going to tell him what to do because, you know, I'm, I'm bigger than him. I can take him. Obedience is something we're not prone to because it means that we're inferior. I want us to change our thinking, change our mindset that obedience leads to blessing. In regards to our relationship with the Lord, when God asks us to do something, let's obey. Let's heed what he's asking us to do. So there's this mentality shift that I really desire for us as men to capture. I no longer want us to operate in this mode of, I have to obey. God has told me to do this, so I have to do that. I have to do X, Y, Z, so I must do this. Let's, let's make that real for a little bit. 
here we are. Uh, you know, Scripture tells us the importance of being in the Word. You know, lo, I come in the volume of the book. Here, we're given all these calls, all these examples of being in the Word. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How shall the young man cleanse his way? By thy word that I've hidden in my heart. We know the importance of being in Scripture. We know the importance of being in the Word. So God is essentially saying, spend time in the Word with me. Spend time in the Word. But for us as men, we can sometimes say, ah, well, I have to do this, so I guess I better read my Bible, crack open my journal. I have to do this, so all right, well, I'm going to go do this. That should not be our thinking. We need to strike that from our minds and say, man, I, I get to obey what God has asked me to do and spend time in his word out of a love, out of an adoration for him. Husbands, throughout scripture, we're told, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, 7, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Give yourself up. Love her sacrificially and unconditionally. If we have the mindset of, all right, well, I have to love my wife. I guess it's what I'm called to do. I'm commanded to love her. All right, I'm going to go love her. If you are operating in that mindset, you already understand that that's wrong. Like you already know that that's not right. And you, if you haven't learned that yet, you're up for a rude awakening here soon. Because that is not how we are called to love. That is not how we are called as husbands to love. It's not out of, I have to. It's out of, I'm going to obey what God asks me to do. Out of a love for God. Out of a love for what he has done for me. As a dad, I'm called to lead my family, to pray for them, to pour into them. If I'm doing this because I have to, because, well, I better obey, obey what God tells me to do, you're missing it. You're not doing it as, as God would desire you to do this. He's asking us to do these things, and we get to do it out of a love and an adoration for what God has done for us. 1 John 5, 3, it tells us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And check it. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Brothers, the things that God is asking us to do, they're not overly burdensome. They're not difficult in regards to, man, we can't do this without the Lord's help. God is asking us to do these things, but they're not difficult. They're not hard. The other thing I want us to recognize is the importance of understanding what God commands us to do. Now, I'm not gonna do all the work for you. There's a lot of things boiled in scripture that God asks us to do, and we'll break down a few of those things, but there's a huge emphasis here at Athey Creek on the word, on the word, on the word, on the word. And it's been neat with, uh, you know, the Saturday morning crew, with Ironworks engaged, you know, 50, 60 plus guys coming. There's been a seriousness to get plugged in, to be in the Word, to memorize the Word, to saturate our lives with the Word. And we've been giving them assignments and working through these things. It's been a real neat thing to see the fruit of guys just putting hands and feet to Scripture. But we need to be men who know what God commands us to do. You can't do what God asks you to do without knowing what God commands you to do. I, I came across this phrase, and I like it. It's similar to the phrase of, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. It's a reiteration of that. Dusty Bibles equals dirty lives. Dusty Bibles equals dirty lives. And I like that because, man, it's so true. It's so true that if we neglect this, if we aren't in this, man, our lives, yeah, they'll be like that dirty, putrid, poopy diaper. They'll be dirty. But when we saturate ourselves with this word, with the word of God, we'll know what he commands us, what he asks us to do, and we can step into that. 
So the last two questions I want to leave us with, brothers, is, is first, okay, I get it, Kaipo. You've, you've asked us today to be obedient, to be ones who are prone to obey. But what are we supposed to obey? What is it that I am supposed to do? What is it that I'm called to be obedient to? I'm not going to do all the work for you because there's countless uh, things throughout Scripture, but I'll, I'll lift up just a few things. Some of these, most all of these you guys know well. Matthew 22 36 to 40, it says that great commandment, and, and there, um, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And you all know this, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So essentially, one of the commandments, one of the things that we've been called to do, love God, love people. How do I do that? Well, how do I obey what God asked me to do? Matthew 28, great commission, you know? We've been given that, <clears throat> um, that, that, uh, that promise there of, hey, go therefore into all the nations making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey or heed all the things that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke 9:23 reminds us, Man, take up your cross, deny, my, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Some of these things, brothers, as I've been working through this, my, my, my shift for me is, God, I don't want to just know that. Help me to obey that. Help show me in my life how I can actually live this out, how I can actually do these things as unto you. I don't want to just have the head knowledge. I want to I be obedient. I don't want to just partially obey what you've asked me to do. Help me to do this fully and completely. So that's, in a very small nutshell, what we're called to obey. But the last question I want to leave you guys with is, well, why? Why should we obey? Why should we do that? Philippians 2, 5, let me read it to you. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is our ultimate example of obedience. He is our ultimate example of how we are to obey. Jesus obeyed to the point of death for something that he didn't even do. I am so thankful that 1 John 5.3, it says there, man, his commandments aren't burdensome. They aren't overly uh, difficult or hard, but Jesus is our example of how to obey. John 14, 15 tells us, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. 1 John 2, 3 and 6, I'll finish with this. It says, now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. <clears throat> he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Brothers, what is it that I want us to, to take away from this? I don't want us to be burdened down with legalism. I don't want us to fall prey to this mentality of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, of its rules, commandments, do this, don't do that, this checklist of our, of our religion. What I want us to get is 
the blessing found in obedience. When God asks us to do something, it's not a weight that we have to wear. It's this joy set before us that we get to obey what God asks us to do out of a love and an adoration for him. That's something that I myself am trying to do. I'm trying to search for all those things that God is asking me to do. What is it that I'm only partially obeying? Lord, what is it that I'm only maybe doing mostly, but I want to do completely. I want to fulfill that whole thing. Lord, help me to be one who is obedient to the commands that you have given to me. And that's my hope. That's my prayer for us as men today. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? God, I am extremely thankful for your word. I am extremely thankful for um, this idea that you have given us, uh, that burden that's easy and that's light. Lord, you don't weigh these things down on us. But Father, as men, I pray that you would show us where it is that we can be obedient to you out of a love for you. Show us where we can heed those things that you have called us to do. Those things in our lives that maybe we're only partially obeying. Maybe we're only obeying up until it's uncomfortable or we're obeying up until it suits our needs. God, as men, would we be ones who own up? Would we take on and not blame others or shift the blame? Would we be men who take ownership with your help and lead our families, lead our wives, be ones who um, set the pace, Lord Jesus? Father, I ask that you would help us as men to just be solid, to be firm, to be pillars. Lord, that we would be men who are constantly in the word, Lord, dusty Bibles equal dirty lives. And our, our heart's desire, Father, is to be cleansed by your word, to daily be in it, to allow it to saturate our lives. Father, for the brothers here in this room, I pray that we would be able to, to take these things, Lord, that we would, in fact, obey what it is that you have called us to do and to search out those things and to be ready to heed what it is you've put in front of us. Father, bless my brothers. I pray that you go before us. We're so thankful that you're with us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anything that's not of you, strike that away, burn that away. But anything that's of you and of your truth and of your scriptures, I pray that it would resonate and it would stick. Father, we're so thankful. We love you so much. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. And every man said, amen. amen.